Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Saturday, February the 3rd. And welcome to our commentary. Well, we begin today. I have a post over at the American Thinker Saturday morning. Hope you check it out. And it's a post about a, a high school in Seattle that decided to honor Fidel Castro by honoring him as, as a great man of the people, uh, a victim of colonialism, imperialism, and every other ism that seems to be going out there with the American left. So they had this um, ceremony honoring him and saying that he had done all these great wonders, wonderful things for the Cuban people in education and in healthcare. And, uh, you know, what a shame that the United States didn't get along with him. And it's all the Americans' fault. And it's always the American fault. And it's always the United States' fault. Well, what a pathetic presentation it was. And, you know, I sent an article. I sent the article. When I read this, I sent the article to my friend, uh, Dr. Carlos Aide, who is a professor as well as a contributor to the Babalu blog. And he wrote a great piece about it. And I hope you check it out. I hope you check it out. It's over at the, at the Babalu blog. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Cuban-American issues, you, you know about the Babalu blog. It's a great place to learn about Cuba and to get the latest information about what's happening uh, in Cuba and with uh, Cuban-Americans in the United States. So check it out because this was a pitiful performance by the not the entire high school, but by certain people in the high school. If you're going to honor a man like Fidel Castro who didn't believe in democracy, didn't believe in freedom, who actually incarcerated homosexuals uh, for most of his uh, dictatorship, and he incarcerated them because he saw them as an enemies of of the state. This is a man where there was no freedom in Cuba. In fact, in the article that I wrote, I talk about my encounter one time with a Cuban who had left Cuba, a Cuban of my generation who had left Cuba. I grew up in the United States. He grew up in Cuba. And sitting there talking to this man, I realized how different our upbringing had been. I grew up in the United States and had a chance to spend my youth and my formative years, you know, listening to music and enjoying politics and engaging in the political debate and so on. He grew up in Cuba and he didn't have access to all that music that I was listening to. He didn't have uh, any political debates and he didn't get to read the books that he wanted to read. I got to read anything I wanted to read, including uh, books uh, written by Karl Marx. Well, he didn't have the opportunity to read anything other than whatever the dictatorship thought it was appropriate for young people to read. Well, that's the difference. But nevertheless, this dictator, this ruthless dictator, is being honored in a high school uh, for having been, I guess, a victim of the United States or whatever, whatever they're saying. Well, what a pathetic situation. What a pathetic performance. And again, check out my friend Carlos Aide over at the Babalu blog. He wrote a great piece about this. And, you know, if you get a chance, check out my, my American Thinker article as well. Look, people who are praising Fidel Castro obviously don't know the truth. They're either communists who want to bring communism to the United States, or they're just ignorant fools. I don't know how else to tell you, because if you don't know the reality of Fidel Castro, then maybe you should. Maybe you should talk to Cubans like me. And we'll be happy to tell you about how terrible this man was to the island of Cuba and the people of Cuba. So bad news. Shame on whoever put together 
that tribute to Fidel Castro uh, should have never happened. Should have never happened. What a pathetic performance that was. Well, let me tell you about an article that I've, I've got coming out Sunday morning where I'm talking about the elections or will be happening in El Salvador on Sunday. On Sunday, the people of El Salvador will be voting for president. And by all likelihood, they're going to be reelecting their president, President Bukele, who's turned out to be one of the greatest uh, presidents in recent Central American history. This is a man who came into power four years ago when the country was falling apart. It was completely overwhelmed by violence and criminal gangs and people were leaving the country because obviously you cannot function successfully in a country where the streets are overwhelmed by criminal gangs. Four years later, El Salvador is a safe place. The cities are safe. Grandmothers can walk down to the bodega on in the morning or in the afternoon and buy things and come home without having criminals steal their purses or threaten their lives or whatever or steal their money as was happening before. And this man is going to be reelected in huge numbers. Now, why is that? Because the people of El Salvador appreciate the job that he's done. He's made their country safe again. People can walk the streets. You can run a business without fear of criminal gangs, you know, basically threatening you that if you don't pay, they're going to kill you or they're going to burn your business or whatever. That kind of stuff is not happening in El Salvador anymore. And it's not happening because the president of that country took a firm, firm hand against uh, criminal gangs and he's put them in jail. And there are about 40,000 of them in jail where they don't threaten anybody. You know, if you... Uh, are a criminal, you're going to be arrested and you'll be put in jail. And that's what uh, what he's done. And he's been very successful at it. I think it's a great lesson, not only for other leaders in Latin America, other leaders in the world, but even here in the United States with some of our cities overwhelmed uh, by violence. And I think the lesson of El Salvador is that the reason that this man is so popular, the reason that the poor people like this man is because the poor people are usually the victims of crime. The poor people are the ones who have to live among these criminal gangs. They're the ones who are overwhelmed by the crime. The rich people don't have to worry about it. Uh, they protect their homes with guards. They have people with machine guns protecting them. They send their kids to school in the United States, or many of them move out of, the, of El Salvador, don't have to worry about what it's like to live there. But the poor people don't have that choice. They're stuck there. And when in comes a man like President uh, Bukele, who actually straightens out the country and cleans up the streets and puts the criminal in jail, well, that's going to be very popular with people, especially the people who are most impacted by, by the crime. So this man's going to be reelected in huge numbers, in huge numbers. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for El Salvador, and it's a big victory for the people of El Salvador and a, a, a confirmation that they are happy with this great uh, young leader. He's 42 years old. He's a very charismatic guy. He's got a beautiful wife, beautiful family. I mean, the guy has uh, really, really been an absolute uh, godsend for the people of, of, uh, of El Salvador. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm so impressed with the job that he's done there. You know, we don't talk about El Salvador that often, but we're doing now because of the great job that this man is doing in his country. By the way, he's also a very strong believer of keeping people at home. He believes very strongly that he has to make El Salvador better for the people of El Salvador so they don't leave. 
and have to pursue opportunities in other countries like the United States. And that's, again, a great attitude that uh, he has. So I'm going to congratulate him in advance. He's going to win a great victory on, on Sunday, a huge victory, and he deserves it. He deserves that victory. Well, in the last couple of days, the United States has retaliated uh, in the Middle East. We've bombed uh, parts of Iraq, parts of Yemen, or wh wherever we're, we're dropping some bombs. In principle, I don't have a problem with retaliation. I think retaliation is necessary after they kill three of your soldiers. But I really, really hope that the Biden administration is, number one, reconsidering its Iran policy. We don't need to give Iran any more money. And number two, I hope we're telling the Iranians clearly that if this doesn't stop, meaning if they don't stop using their subsidiaries to attack American troops, that we're going to go to the source and we're going to take out what's going. I mean, we're going to take out either the nuclear plant or we're going to take out the oil refineries or we're going to take out their Navy. But we're going to do something very big against Iran if they keep this up. And I think I hope that message was delivered clearly to Iran. And that the next time something like this happens, we follow up and take out uh, whatever we have to take out in Iran. You know, the president is saying that he doesn't want a bigger war, that he doesn't want a war with Iran. Well, I don't know anybody who does. I honestly don't know anybody who wants a war with Iran. But at the same time, if you're going to put American troops in the Middle East and places like Iraq and Syria, and these troops are going to be there, then the very least you can do is defend them when they're attacked, or at least look out for them when they get attacked. And if the attacks are being funded by Iran, then maybe we need to deliver the message to Iran that we're not putting up with any more of this. So uh, we, we will follow the story. We'll probably get into a lot more about this uh, on Monday when we do our weekly chat uh, with Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Uh, well, I want to say happy number 72 today to Freddie Lynn, who was a great baseball player. He was the first baseball player ever in Major League Baseball to win the Rookie of the Year and the MVP in his first season uh, when he was with the Boston Red Sox. So rookie of the Year and MVP in your first year, that's a, that's a great, uh, great accomplishment. So Freddie Lynn, Freddie Lynn, born on this day in 1952. Uh, so happy birthday to Freddie Lynn. And we also remember today, 1959, the, the, the airplane crash that killed Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, that incident came to be known as the day that the music died. That was that song by uh, Don McLean that was a big hit about 50 years ago. And, you know, I didn't know anything about Buddy Holly until I heard that song by Don McLean, American Pie. I can do, I mean, I didn't care that much for the song American Pie, but it did spark my interest and Buddy Holly, and I became a fan of Buddy Holly because of that song, and I began listening to Buddy Holly's music, and I began buying some of his records, and now I'm a huge fan of Buddy Holly. I absolutely love his uh, his music, and here in Texas, in Lubbock, Texas, where he was born, not only is he buried in Lubbock, Texas, but there's a great museum to uh, Buddy Holly, a great uh, celebration of Buddy Holly that goes on in Lubbock, Texas. So as I said, I didn't know anything about him until I heard that song, American Pie. And then I became a huge fan of Buddy Holly. And I think a lot of people are too, because all of a sudden he, he's, he's been bigger now in the last uh, few years because of that song, American Pie, than he was uh, 
than he was before, I think. I think so. But he was definitely one of the great, uh, one of the early wonders of rock and roll. Buddy Holly, born in Lubbock, Texas, killed on this day in 1959. The other two guys, the other two guys who crashed, uh, Richie Valens, a very young uh, singer, and the big popper who was, I don't know if he was a full-time singer. I think he was a DJ as well. But they were all killed in that uh, terrible day, the day that the music died. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.